And I remember my attorney calling me into his office and this is how the book actually starts. And he says, Martine, remember, I remember you saying that your mother was abusive towards you. And I remember just in that moment, he just said, he uttered those first few sentences, those few first few words. And I said, no, I knew exactly where he was going. And I said, I can't do it. I can't. I know what you're going to ask me to do. I can't do it. I can't. And he said, Martine, I need you to do this. Thank you for tuning in to IPU Podcast. IPU stands for Immigrants Pursuit of Umunezero. Umunezero is Kenyonda word for happiness. Did you know that next to hunger and thirst, our most basic human need is for storytelling? Here at IPU, we believe in the power of storytelling. Join us as we share inspiring stories of immigrants who found and are following their passion. We hope these stories will teach, inspire, motivate, and challenge you. I am your host, Jay Tessie. Today's special guest is not a stranger to IPU. She is back, better and bigger, with great news to share with us. She's a speaker, author, Huffington Post blogger, and managing principal of Martine Kalau Enterprises. I love saying your name, by the way. Welcome back, Martine. Thank you so much. And you say my my name so beautifully. I love saying it. Perfect just, pronunciation. You know, just I love, love it. it. Thank you. Thank you. So good to be back, Judy. Oh, my God. Thank so you. good to have you. Please share the news with us. You finally finished your book. Yay. Yes, I finally finished my book. 90,000 words later, 250 pages later, the book is complete. Yay. You know what? And I love the title, Woman Without an Identity, but out is like crossed out. Yes, yes. That's so genius. Can you tell us why that title for those of you? Yes. For those of the people that are listening that don't know your story. Yeah, I think that, well, in short, um, you know, I came to the U.S. from Zambia. I was born in Zambia. My family, my mother and father were from the GR Congo. So I'm Congolese, um, ethnically. Um, I came when I was four years old. A few years later, when I was 13, my stepfather died. And then when I was 15, my mother died. I became undocumented and I spent 13 years as an undocumented immigrant. And at that time it was referred to as illegal alien. And I spent seven years in deportation where I feared being put in a detention facility because I was stateless. So Zambia and DR Congo did not recognize me as uh, a citizen. And I spent, um, and essentially uh, the book, just to tie in the book and, and the title, the book is, is centered around three themes. Um, the first theme is my relationship with my mother, who is, who's been deceased um, for over 20 years. Um, and this is a big conversation because I had to testify against my deceased mother in court in order to attempt to save myself. So I had to disclose a lot of information around um, her abuse of me and you know she was verbally abusive and physically abusive um, and this is something that I wasn't prepared to excavate in the courtroom but I was forced to and when I was forced to do it um, my I felt abandoned in that courtroom and the judge went on a crusade to prove that I was lying so it only amplified the situation so that's the first theme the second theme is around just you know, the challenge and the struggle um, of being undocumented and what that was like to go through, spend 13 years navigating life as an orphan and not having paperwork. But thankfully, um, you know, I feel like so many miracles occurred through, you know, the support of strangers, absolute strangers who would come into my life and help me. So I was able to go to prep school, go to college and go to graduate school um, for the most part for free. Um, And I would say, you know, free, but I want to be mindful of the fact that, you know, I did earn it. I worked really hard um, to, 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 to get there. But again, without the support of the strangers, these strangers who are now, you know, very important people in my life, 
um, that wouldn't have happened. So that's the second theme is just the journey of being undocumented and the struggles and just the pain, but just the pain that, um, that was so excruciating. And then the third thing is, you know, I like to refer to myself as, you know, the, the luckiest, unlucky, undocumented immigrant, because some of the things that have happened in my life are just, I can't even believe them if they didn't actually happen to me. Um, in 2012, when I finally became a U.S. citizen, um, I also found out that my deceased father, the man who I thought was deceased for over 20 years, um, was actually alive. And he found me through LinkedIn. And I went to Zambia in 2014 to meet him. So those are the three themes in my book. And the title Woman Without an Identity is so critical because um, the out is crossed out because it's sort of like a play on words because there was for many years I was without an identity, but then the out is crossed out. So in theory, now I am a woman with an identity. So uh, that's that's the whole point around it. You're supposed to look at it and go, wait a minute, does she have an identity or does she not have an identity? Dun, and dun, dun, find out that's the a question. <laughs> right. And that was the, you know, the theme of my life for most of my life. And um yeah. And, and there was a time where all I had was, was, you know, just my name and I didn't have an identity. So there you go. So woman without an identity. <laughs> with an identity now. Yes. With a, with a very, very strong identity that, um, that I have, I feel that I've created, you know, it's, it's something that I have worked to create, um, on my own and, and through the support of my community. And I think, in a way, if you wanted to look at the glass half full, which I think you do with your life, because with everything that's going going on in your life, the fact that you're here smiling and when you share your story, you say it with such joy. And I'm looking at her like, girl, I would be so depressed, like on yeah. if I went through half the stuff you went through. But if you want to look at the glass half full with your story, especially you got to create your identity. A lot of us, we just are born and they give us this identity. So I think mm -hmm. there's beauty in creating your own identity because you cherish it way more and you appreciate it. I feel like. Yeah, absolutely. And I, you know, and I feel that I want to be honest, there were so many years, like this smile wasn't always there. It wasn't always genuine. And in my book, I talk about um, the challenge of having to put on this facade mm. in order to save myself, right? Um, when you need help, you almost have to be composed so people can help you. You can't be too, you know, downtrodden. Otherwise, people you know, they freak out. And we see that, right? We're seeing that in the, the bigger immigration conversation. It's the, it's the you know, individuals who put, look composed and we've got that model undocumented immigrant, you know, that's a focal point right now in the conversation. So, you know, and I don't necessarily agree with that, but, I, but what I am saying is that, you know, um, yeah, there was a time where I had to put on this facade, you know, almost, you know, this, this false exterior, so that people could help me, right? It was a survival mechanism. So that wasn't very real. And that created a lot of internal torment and strife, right? Mm -hmm. It was almost, that was really what living a double life meant. It meant, you know, going outside and acting like you were okay. And, you know, yeah, I'm going to be fine. And, you know, I'm working hard and trying to, you know, please people and appeal to people. And then going home and just feeling like, oh my God, what's going to happen to me? I, I don't know if I can make it through another day because I can't take this anymore. I don't know how much worse life can get. I don't think I can handle any, any other thing going wrong in my life. And so um, it took many years, you know, and I talked about in the past, uh, in, in our last conversation, there was a lot of therapy that was involved, but also writing this book, the first time I wrote it, this is the second book actually that I wrote. The first book was extreme, was completely cathartic. It was just me putting all of my feelings on paper. Um, it was very dark. You know, there was very little happiness or light in that conversation. But, um, you know, in the last couple of years, and like I said, that journey of, you know, traveling, going to Zambia, meeting my father, connecting with my identity, finding my identity, connecting with my mother. Um, those are the things that have allowed me to feel and become complete 
a whole, an entire human being is knowing where I came from. Mm. And so that's why the smile is what it is. It's really (laughs) real. (laughs) I see it. You're glowing. You look beautiful. Thank you. Um, You So going back to you having to testify against your deceased mother, and you said that the judge made it his lifelong goal to make you out to be a liar. How do you even, how how can you prove that when you're testifying against somebody who's deceased? Yeah. So, um, this is a great question. And I, 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 I go into a lot of detail in, in woman without an identity in the book, um, because I do feel that this is something that, um, it's, it's happening in the larger context of this immigration conversation, right? Um, one, when you're undocumented, oftentimes somebody's to blame, Mm-hmm. And when you think about all these undocumented minors um, having to expose their whole life and having to blame a parent, it's excruciating. Um, in the midst of that, in the middle of that, you know, not everyone has the fortune and has the resources to hire a primetime attorney to support you. So at that time, I was a student. I was really broke. <laughs> student broke, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I had a pro bono attorney. And that's not to say that all pro bono immigration attorneys are not great. There's some really amazing ones out there. And my attorney was dedicated to the cause and helping, you know, individuals like myself. But he was inundated with cases. So unless I was going to be put in handcuffs and sent to a detention facility, I wasn't his top priority, right? right? And oftentimes um, in that line of work, it's easy to become jaded and burned out. And so he overlooked a lot of things. Um, And one of those things was how to present my case. And so I remember it was like it was yesterday. It was a day that I was testifying in court and I was excited because I thought, okay, I'm going to testify. This is the day after all these years, it had been probably about three or four years into my journey. I'm going to testify into my documented immigrant journey. That should be more clear. I'm going to testify. And this is it. You know, I've got my people. So my community of, you know, academic advisors, all of these people who are going to, who are going to testify on my behalf and show that I'm a person of good moral character. I work hard. And then the case will be closed. And, um, so we had all of my, you know, um, all of my community, the, the, the individuals testify. And I remember my attorney calling me into his office and this is how the book actually starts. And he says, Martine, remember, I remember you saying that your mother was abusive towards you. And I remember just in that moment, he just said, he uttered those first few sentences, those few first few words. And I said, no, I knew exactly where he was going. And I said, I can't do it. I can't, I know what you're going to ask me to do. I can't do it. I can't. And he said, Martine, I need you to do this. If you testify about your mother beating you and verbally abusing you, I promise this case is going to be over because we are going to argue, we were arguing the battered child statute. It's Mm. just a law. It's one of those statutes that says if uh, a permanent U.S. resident or citizen is um, batters a minor who's undocumented, Something to that sort. I'm not an attorney, mm-hmm. but essentially, <laughs> there, you know, I'm eligible for status for adjusting my status. And um, originally, the case was built around my aunt, and I was fine with that because, you know, she was my aunt, and I, I was okay exposing her. But the relationship with my mother and I was so raw; it was incomplete, and she was deceased, and I didn't want to put that out there. Right. Um, And um, he said, I need you to do this. And if you do this, it's going to be over. So I believed him. I trusted him. And um, we went back into the courtroom. And I went on the stand and I testified. And at the end of the testimony, I remember the judge looked at me like I was nothing. And he said, you know, you're a liar. You deserve to be deported. How dare you? you know, defame and use your own dead mother to further yourself. I mean, Uh those words were like daggers in my heart. And I remember 
looking at my attorney, waiting for him to stand up for me and didn't. And I felt so alone, so exposed, so raw. That was probably the worst moment in my life. I mean, I, I, I've had a lot of bad moments in my life. Losing my mother was a really bad experience, a really bad moment. And, um, but that moment of being accused of lying after excavating the deepest and darkest secret um, was, yeah, it was, it was the worst kind of pain I could ever imagine. I would never wish that on my worst enemy. And so I talk about it. I share it because I believe that, you know, while it's not the same exact story that a lot of other undocumented immigrants are having to share, it's in the same vein. They're having to expose themselves and, and share everything in order to prove their value in the U.S., and um, oftentimes the media, the people, we're the judge, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? We're reading these stories and figuring out, deliberating and determining whether this person is a valuable human being and should be in the U.S. And so that's why I share the story because that's how it felt. And, and, and a lot of people are reliving that same experience in their own way. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's where I start the story. And um, in in that chapter, in the first chapter, I am, you know, I'm sort of trying to make amends um, as I go on that witness stand and sort of like in the back of my mind, asking my mom to forgive me um, that I'm sharing this and that I, I, I love her. I didn't understand who she was at that time. And I didn't understand her journey. She was, uh, you know, a quagmire, you know, uh, she was an enigma. And, um, but now, you know, having gone to Zambia, having my father share all the things that he shared about who she was and who he was, I don't condone her behavior, but I understand who she was. And And so there's forgiveness. Absolutely. Absolutely. Without a doubt. And so, um, yeah, yeah, that's, Mm. that's where I am right now in a place of forgiveness, um, understanding her as a woman and not as a mother necessarily. And, um, and understanding that she went through more than I could ever imagine. And I don't know how one person could go through that and come out whole and complete. And so I'm not condoning what she did, but I, I, I do understand her from where she from the place that she she stood, and and that that's a journey in itself. Yes, absolutely. Now, let's talk about that journey. You mentioned in chapter five that you felt like your deceased mother was the puzzle, and yes. your father reaches out to you through LinkedIn. Yeah, and in that moment, you felt like your father was the keeper of all those pieces. So you go to Zambia right. to find out what those pieces were without giving out too much. Yeah. What, what are some of those pieces that you discovered? Oh, gosh, there's so many. My dad is he's such a cool dude. I always tell him that I'm like, Dad, you're a cool dude. I don't even know if he knows what dude means. He's just like, yes, of course. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. Um, no, but he's great because, um, you know, I can't imagine what it took for him to go back into his, I don't know, box of history things that he might have buried to share with me. And he said, he said, you know, my daughter, you must know everything. You are very curious. So I'll tell you everything. And he did. He took me to the hospital where I was born. It's like every day he unraveled. It was like a gift that he gave me. He would unravel one gift and allow me to absorb it, take it in. And then he would give me another piece of the clue. It was amazing how he did it. It's like he he planned the whole thing all the way leading up to my actual, you know, um, arrival. So I I went to the hospital where I was born. I was able to go to the maternity ward where my mother, you know, um, had me. I was I went to the house that my mother and I lived in, you know, and my mother, my father and I lived in. And my father, my mother, and learning that his other wives, because I also learned my father was a, is a polygamist. 
Wow. Uh, wow. Exactly. My life is so <laughs> crazy. <laughs> it's so interesting. It's the um, gift that keeps on giving. It keeps on giving. Um, I met my mother's best friend. This was so amazing because she knew my mother before my mother had me. She knew my mother. My mother was pregnant with me. She was able to share some really cool anecdotal stories um, about my mother. Um, I got to see a different side of her. You know, this woman who I didn't know and and see her from the perspective of her friends, mm-hmm. people who knew her, people who knew her insecurities, people who knew all this stuff about her that she never really shared with me, right? Because um, partly I was too young. I wouldn't have understood. Um, so I, 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 I went on that journey. And then the most amazing thing that happened, well, they're a couple. Um, I met my, um, my former neighbors. So these are people that knew me and knew my mother and they'd been living in, in, you know, in the same house since 1970 something, you know, before I was even born. So being able to meet them and them remembering me, but then there was a piece of the story. I mean, this was the thing and I, I, I won't give it away, but there was something that happened. Um, one, there was, there was, there was a share that my father, um, revealed to me one evening that really, um, allowed me to feel complete. And it was like the missing link to the story. So every night, um, under the African skies, we would sit, you know, on these two rocking chairs and he would share something new. So one night he actually pulled out this letter and gave it to me and he actually translated it because it was in Lingala, which is our native language in, in Congo. And, um, and it was a love letter that my mother had written to my father. This is way before I was born. Like they were married for 10 years before I was even born. So, um, and it was just her being so vulnerable, telling her how much she loved him and that she hoped that, you know, they, they had a falling out and she was hoped that she well, hope that, you know, they could get back together. And this was before they even got married. And I just, I'd never seen the side of my mother, this, this completely vulnerable human being who was so full of love. Um, and so after he shared that letter with me and he translated it and he gave it to me, he shared another piece of evidence, you know, um, to me that solidified that, gosh, you know, I, I came from love. My mother and my father truly loved each other at one point, and my mother and my father really loved me at one point, or they loved me completely. Did you doubt and that at some point? I doubted it my entire life. Yes, absolutely. I mean, um, I doubted it because my mother, as I mentioned, you know, she was abusive. She was not a great mother. She was an amazing human being. I know that may not necessarily make sense right now, um, but in the book, I talk about that, you know, um, that she was a good person. She was not a good mother. And so my entire life, I didn't know that she loved me. She didn't show her emotions. She hid them, you know, she Mm -hmm. hid them and buried them way deep down inside. And it was only later, and it's only after that trip that I understood why I think she was so afraid to show her emotions because there was so much pain. There was so much pain buried deep down inside. And so um, she just wanted to, to forget. I mean, this is, this woman had seven kids. I was her seventh and she, her six children were taken away from her, you know, and she never got to see them after they were the age of like seven or eight. She didn't see them ever again. Um, She just went through so much. And I, I, and because she didn't show the affection that I needed as a child, I, I questioned my love for her. I questioned my father's love for me because I wondered why he wasn't around all those years. And, you know, why did my mother hate him so much? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, when I went on this journey and when my father revealed what he revealed to me, um, I knew I had no shadow of doubt that I came from love. And that is the thing. I I feel that that is part of the human condition, right? To feel complete, to find your identity, you have to know 
loved you first. You can't just automatically love yourself. I don't believe that. I, I think it's it's hard to do that, you know, to to muster up all that self-love when you don't know um, what fuels it. And so when you know that you come from love and you know that you are loved, um, what it does is it it gives you that sense of identity and that sense of belonging and, you know, a reason for being. And so that's what that was the gift that my father was able to give me by sharing this anecdote about my mother, which which is in the book. That's so beautiful. I love your story. There's just so many like twists and turns just when you think it's getting worse like there's something else that comes up but then it's also beautiful in a sense that you got to create your own identity I don't think a lot of people get that chance you know what I mean I absolutely agree I'm I'm so grateful because what I say is goodness I went from this story could have been could have ended a whole different way right um and now it's just the beginning of the story is what I believe um, when I lost my mother and my stepfather and I became an orphan and I became undocumented, I don't know, it could have turned out really badly, but what happened was, you know, strangers showed up in different instances in my life and literally saved my life because of their random acts of kindness. They thought they were, it, they were random acts of kindness, but these little these instances in which they decided to help me literally save my life and fueled, you know, um, my success. That's how I was able to go to prep school, go to college and go to graduate school. Right. Um, and the, and, and it was through all of that, that I was able to maneuver and, and, and discover my identity. And so, you know, I'm so grateful because People like there's so many people that don't get a dad, <laughs> you know, they don't get a dad at 33. I got a dad at 33. And I also had an amazing stepdad until I was 13. And then I had a benefactor who showed up, you know, in in a time when I thought everything, you know, my my world was collapsing. And he ended up being, you know, he's a father figure too. So I just think I'm so fortunate. I got three dads in my life. You know, like who can say that, you know? So as much as I know that, you know, there have been times of so much pain and it was excruciating and there were times when I never thought it would be over. um, I also recognize the blessings and um, I am so fortunate. And so that's why I also feel that I need to share this story to show, to highlight the the kindness that exists in this, in this world um, to also you know, share with people that one little act of kindness, sometimes you think it's random. Sometimes we think, oh, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to make a difference. One little thing can actually domino into a big thing. Oh, a hundred percent. A woman walked into, you know, this beautiful Jamaican woman walked into a consignment store in 1997 and saw me working at the register and asked me if I wanted to go to boarding school. She didn't have to do that. And I'm sure I can't, you know, we have not been able to find her. I haven't been able to find her to this day to thank her, but she connected me to a group that worked to help minority students get into prep school. She might've thought that was just a tiny little thing that she, you know, this little act of kindness that she could have done. Little does she know that she literally saved my life in that moment. And that, just funneled my entire the entire trajectory of my life, and so uh, I, I liked I want to highlight that in the story because um, you know with everything that's going on in the world, people often feel helpless. They don't know how to to make an impact, but one little thing can make an impact, can save a life. Wow! Now you mentioned you your your mom had six other kids prior to you. Where are those? Six yes. Kids. Do you yes. have a relationship with them at this point? Yes, I have. Um, I know. So there's always a story, Judy, with me. <laughs> I am one of 19 kids. All right. My father has 13 kids and I'm his seventh, number seven. And my mother and my father only had me okay. together. 
And my mother had seven kids and I'm her seventh. So I'm like not lucky number seven on both sides. <laughs> um, however, um, and so to answer your question, I just want to lay that out there just so people understood that yeah. I come from many. Um, my mother's seven kids are dispersed throughout DR Congo. I know I've met one, my mother's oldest daughter. Okay. And uh, so she came to the U.S., um, a couple of times and we actually got a chance to connect. Um, and what I was able to do, what was amazing was I was able to share, um, you know, a piece of her, give her a piece of her identity. She didn't know she hadn't seen or known my mother since she was maybe seven years old. That's what I was going to ask. And were they going through the something you were going through? Yeah. Ironically, here's the interesting thing. And I think this is so powerful. So my, my sister and my other siblings, who I haven't met, they're dispersed throughout the TR Congo, they were raised to believe, so my mother's ex-ex-husband um, told them that my mother had abandoned them and didn't want them. That was not the truth. So they, they grew up believing that, you know, I was fortunate because my mother was there for me and loved me and didn't want them. And I grew up, you know, up until the time I was 15, my mother died. All she talked about was them. She, her heart was with her kids as she, that were taken away from her years ago. And I was here. So she thought I was safe. So I felt this void, like my mom doesn't love me. And they felt that void, like, oh, my mother, our mother doesn't love us. She didn't choose us. So I was able to, to, um, I guess, mend that gap, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. um, for my sister. And then she was able to take that back to my other siblings. Um, they're dispersed throughout the Congo. I don't, I, it's funny because I only know them through stories that my mother shared with me mm -hmm. when they were babies. Mm -hmm. You know, I only, like I memorize their names. I, I, I only know like these little anecdotes that my mother shared with me and that's all I know. And so, um, you know, there, there's, a, there will come a time and I, I hope that, um, you know, I will find, you know, the, 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 the security of going back to Congo, you know, um, I think that I'm very Americanized in the sense that, you know, I read them, I see what's on the, you know, in the media and then I, I believe everything that I see and read and so I'm nervous and I'm scared to go to Congo right now. Um, my sister assures me that everything I see and read is not what's actually happening. Um, but yeah, I would love to go back and, and, and meet with them and, and connect with them. Um, I think there's a lot of fear in that because I know that because of where they are and where I am, that our needs are going to be conflicting. My need is to connect, reconnect, and you know, find love. And their needs might be more economic at this point, right? right? And I have to be very realistic about that. And I say that because that's what I'm finding with some of my father's kids. So right. there's so many layers, you know, to the story. And I think anyone who has family in another part of the world can relate to oh, that. A hundred percent. Yep. That's right. That's what the conversations are usually about. Yeah. Yeah. That's really what it is. So, mm -hmm. so, and, and so I have to kind of, um, you know, I'm at odds with how I can, how, how I can manage and navigate through that. Um, and so right now, you know, my, my priority is connecting with my father and connecting with my oldest sister. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and then slowly being integrated into into my family. And maybe that's what your second book will be about. Your yes. trip back to the yes. Congo. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> yes. Yes. I, I, I do know that there will be a time where I want to go back and connect with, with, um, you know, a different part of my identity because I am from the Congo, my mother and my father from the Congo. Um, my whole family's from the Congo. I actually took a, just finished, uh, taking, um, one of those, uh, ancestry DNA tests. Did you really? And, yeah. And I'm, I'm literally 90% Congolese. Congolese. <laughs> and then what's the other 10%? It's like a mixture of, 
I think I have a little bit of Nigerian in me. Woo woo! Like I'm so excited. I'm like, yeah, I have some Nigerian, like two percent. <laughs> and then, like, then um, it's like you know dispersed throughout Central Africa. But I'm truly from Org- where I organically. Was, yeah, I am truly yeah organic, one hundred percent Congolese. Nice. So going yeah. back to your trip to Zambia. Yes. Your dad gives you this great gift that we have to read the book to find out yes, what that is. Yes. You come back and um, you made a really important trip that freed you, freed you of, of all the burdens and all the grief and everything else that you had been carrying for so long. Tell yeah. us about that. Yeah, this was as a result of that, you know, that gift that my father gave me that connected me to my mother. I realize the sacrifices she made for me. So all those years, I didn't know that my mother loved me. And through, you know, this evidence that my father provides, I, like, I had no shadow of doubt that my mother loved me with all her heart and her, her entire existence in the U.S. was, was for me, for the most part. And so when I realized that, I mean, I don't know, it just, I had to thank her and um, I needed to go back to the place where I left her and I hadn't been back in a long time. And that was at her grave in, in Maryland. Um, The last time I was there was the day that we buried her in August of 1996. I hadn't brought myself to be able to go back um, for, for all the reasons, you know, that I shared one, not knowing that she truly loved me to when I brought her into my immigration case, I felt like I didn't, I didn't deserve to be, you know, go to her grave. Um, you know, I was at odds with myself. So I come full circle and to know that she'd made all those sacrifices and that she loved me, I wanted to thank her. So um, what, what my father and I did, and this was something that, you know, my best friend who went with me on the, on the journey to Zambia, or com- she accompanied me. She suggested that, you know, hey, Martine, why don't you and your dad find something that reminds you of your mother um, that you can take with you to the grave, to her grave, right? Because I decided I was going to go to her grave. And, you know, what we decided was that would be a piece of fabric. You know, that was something that was easy to transport, first of all. And secondly, because um, my mother was a seamstress and she, you know, loved you know, I think Central African fabric is so unique in its own way. Mm-hmm. Fabric from all parts of Africa have a certain, you know, they're unique and they stand out. And, you know, there's, I wanted to find something that reminded me of her. And so uh, my father and I found a piece of fabric um, cloth that it reminded him of, he referred to my mother as his late wife, other even though they were divorced (laughs) for many years. But, um, you know, I think, you know, through my trip there, he really reconnected with her and, and, you know, reconnected with his love for her. And um, so we found this piece of fabric. Um, I got like two yards of it. I cut a piece and I took, I bought a dozen roses and went to her grave. And I got on my knees and I thanked her for everything. And I, I, I cried and I thanked her and I left her a piece of cloth that I picked up when I went back to her home and brought it back with her, brought it back with me for her along with the roses. And, and just, I felt complete. I felt absolutely complete in that moment. I had no more questions. I, I have no more questions. I, I, I can't, I, I don't have questions about where, where did I come from? Did my mother love me? Did my father love me? Mm-hmm. Did they love each other? Uh, you know, um, what hospital was more, all those questions that I had my entire life for like 20 something years. These are questions that I had. I no longer had those questions. I'm, I'm literally, I was, I've become complete. And, and I, I thanked, I thank my mother. I think, you know, I, I really believe in angels. I believe that she's been my angel throughout my entire life since the day she left this earth. And, um, you know, and she, she was with us on the trip and, uh, you know, in her spirit, her spirit was with Mm -hmm. us in the journey to Zambia. And so I, I just wanted to, um, 
thank her and acknowledge her and let her know that her journey, her journey was not in vain and that, um, you know, her memory will always, you know, be upheld for me. And when I have children, I will, they will know who she was and they'll understand the complexity of her, but also know her strength and the great woman that she was. And I think she left all of that in you. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And you didn't mention this, but I'm, I'm just curious from our last conversation. Yes. When your mother died, your mother's sister took you in, correct? Yes. I had first mother, sister, and then I was passed on to a second one (laughs) and a third one. And they were (laughs) all not very nice people. Yes. What, where are they at now? Like, are they back in your life um, or what happened with that? So one of the things that I've, I think I've learned and just in my maturity is to, you know, be a little bit, I think in the past, I always collapsed the Kalaos into one monolith and said they were all awful to me. Um, and I, I think it's more, it's very important to make the distinction that there were certain people that, um, you know, were conspirators and other people who just didn't say anything and other people who didn't have, who weren't capable of helping. Right. So, um, my, my aunt, the one that, um, was extremely abusive to me, um, ironically, she passed away in 2000, um, 2004. And she was someone that I was extremely afraid of. Um, so she passed away. And um, my other two aunts whose, whose homes I was, you know, I lived in. And, and specifically my first aunt, who my mother actually wanted me to live with. Um, I have not reached out to her. I, I, you know, I don't think that I don't find that it's necessary. I felt that, um, um you know, I've forgiven her, but I, I can't forget, you know, right. um, those things that happened. Um, however, the, the people that I've allowed back into my life and I'm slowly learning to build a relationship with are my two uncles. Um, these are, they were young. These are my, my mother's half siblings, half brothers. Okay. Um, they were probably 20, 22 when all of this stuff was happening in my life after mm-hmm. my mother died. And I, you know, so that's what I meant by, you know, it's not fair to, col- to, to collapse them into that group and, and blame them. They were, you know, having been in my twenties before there's very little, you, you know, you're, you're, right. you're practically a child. And so, um, they have been so encouraging of me to telling my story. Um, I remember it was probably a month ago. I asked my uncle and I said, are you going to be mad at me? Cause I'm literally putting everything in the book, like everything. Mm-hmm. And he goes, he said, baby girl, you, this is your story. You tell your story and don't let anybody intimidate you. They can't hurt you. They, they, they cannot hurt you ever, ever again. Tell your story. And so having my two uncles, um, you know, support me and this means so much to me, like that actually makes me so emotional. Um, because I know that I'm putting, you know, their, their business out there, right? My business is their business and to have their support and for them to tell me to tell my story and to pre-order my book means so much to me. It really does. Aww. Yeah. <laughs> you really make me cry. Oh my God. Uh, <laughs> was this therapeutic for you writing this book? Yeah. So I actually, um, I've been writing this book for over 10 years. Um, so the first time, the first uh, iteration of it was way before I even knew about my father being alive. And uh, the first book was, it was cathartic. So that was very therapeutic. It was about, I wanted to tell my story because I, I really believe that I was going to end up in a detention facility somewhere, maybe in Guantanamo, right? This was back in 2000, 2002, 2003. So I, I was really terrified. And so I wanted to leave my story because I wanted people to know that I existed. Mm-hmm. And that this is the kind of stuff that was happening in America. So that's why I wrote the first book. And um, it was dark. It was very raw. Um, and it was necessary. And I also know it was necessary because that's the book that I shared with my father. When he found me, he needed, he wanted to know who I was. So I shared this book with him. He was able to read it. And, um, so, so that was the purpose for it. 
And I wrote a whole new book, right? The story changed, the, the conversation changed. And, and um, it's a different, I'm, an, I'm a different person than I was in that first book. And so this book is, yes, it's somewhat therapeutic, but it's, I don't know, it's just about, um, it's just about sharing and, and, and creating awareness. And um, I don't know, inspiring people. Yeah. Letting them know that anything is possible, even when it seems impossible, anything and everything is possible. If you can believe it, it's possible. It may not be probable, right? Like the, like uh, Will Smith says in the pursuit of happiness. Mm-hmm. I love it. It's not about, you know, probability. It's just thinking up that possibility. And so um, that's what I wanted to do is I wanted to share that possibility and I wanted people to to read this and go, oh my God, I, I can't believe that this all of this happened in one person's lifetime, you know? And um I guess it could anything is possible for me too. And to inspire people. And inspiring you have, trust me. <laughs> so Woman Without an Identity is available for pre-order until April twelfth. Is that right? That is correct. Until April twelfth. Um, I'm offering some really cool bonuses to organizations. Um, One of the hotels, uh, it's an amazing five-star hotel in Zambia, has offered a a discount. If um, an organization orders in bulk, Um, another amazing hotel, Riyadh in Morocco, that I will potentially be speaking and doing a book tour at, um, has also offered um, a bonus package. And I, because my my line of work in my consulting is um, professional development, leadership development, right? Building out training programs. I'm also offering um, a complimentary one-day um, training to organizations that are interested in purchasing my book in bulk. So lots of different opportunities to pre-order. And um, yeah, I think you guys will, um, you will not be disappointed. I, I have no doubt about that. And why is it important for people to pre-order a book right now? It is important because the goal is the more pre-orders that I get, the more likely I am to connect and uh, be identified and um, have like a big name publisher put out a bid for me. So right now um, I have seven publishers that are interested in working with me already. So that's good. I'm so appreciative. Um, but I believe in going big or going home, right? I want <laughs> my story to be out there. Um, I want this story to be out there because I want to create a space for more African narratives, for more narratives about women, for more narratives about undocumented immigrants. I want us to tell our stories as opposed to having other people tell our stories. So I want to create that space. I want the story to be big. And so I want to, I, I ideally would love to work with a big name, one of the big five publishers. So the more pre-orders I get before April 12th, the more it, you know, sets me up for that opportunity. What is your number one pick? What publisher do you want to work with? Oh, this is awesome. I love being able to say that. I would love to work with Penguin. Or Simon and Schuster. So I picked two. I know that was that was cheating, but <laughs> I'm just gonna put it out there. Any of the big five, honestly, I'd be I would love to work with. Penguin, um, if you're listening. Yes. A yes, wonderful Penguin. author with a very inspirational story that Thank needs you. to be hired by the world. So people, if you're listening, please, please, please pre-order her book. It is a must-read. And I'm going to predict it. I already told you this book will be made into a movie. I'm telling you. Thank you so much. There's no way you went through everything you went through for this, for this not to be an inspirational story for the world. So I, I, you know, gosh, that makes me want to cry because I, I just, I'm so humbled when people say that. And um, I think that's what's kept me writing. Like there have been moments where I wanted to quit and I'm like, what am I doing? Why am I exposing all of this out and putting it out there? Like who wants to read this? Who cares? It's my story. Nobody wants to know this, but then, you know, um, I just think about how it could maybe make a difference to one person. If one little girl 
you know, can read my story and see how far I've come. And that inspires her to keep going despite her obstacles. Gosh, and I've, I've done what I was put on this earth to do. And so, um, yeah, if that story, if my story can be, you know, if it can be translated in the form of film, that would be amazing. That would be amazing. It's going to be amazing. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you, Martine. So I, I always love it when you come through. So next time when you come, yeah. we'll be talking about your movie. <laughs> thank you. I forgot to say it. The last thing that's coming up is um, I will be actually speaking LinkedIn. I, you know, reached out to Lynch LinkedIn and um, I will be speaking at uh, one of their conferences in a couple of weeks. So sharing my inspirational story since they were very much instrumental yes, in, uh, <laughs> in the outcome of it. So I'm really excited about that opportunity. So, um, you know, I'll share all of that on my website along with um, the link to pre-order my book. It's all on my website. MartineKalau.com, right? That's right. MartineKalau.com. Martine, I cannot wait for to see what the future holds for you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you guys so much for listening and tuning in. I appreciate all of you. We appreciate you. And thank you so much for listening. Until next time. You've been listening to IPU Podcast. You can follow IPU Podcast on Instagram. If you haven't yet, please go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Join us next week for another inspiring story. Follow your passion. It will lead you to your purpose. As always, thanks for listening. Until next time.